This one's about Aunt Sadie. It's about the worlds she flies between. It's about the green witchcraft and the green peril and the green skin that hobgoblin warlocks peel off clones of themselves so they can make leather vests that match their own complexions flawlessly. When they ask you, tell them this one's about the greens. Aunt Sadie's greens. Lupo's on Cherry Street is your standard tavern. The ale's flat, but at least the serving wenches have thick heads of foam. If you hold still at the bar long enough, you'll get propositioned by some group of adventurers who just met each other for the first time. They'll invite you along to raid the, the tombs of Atuan or the lost caverns of Sojkanth. I turn them down politely. Then I send word by carrier pigeon to my old friend Sally, who lives in the lost caverns. Let her know a fresh bunch of humanoids is on its way. Even though it's in the human settlement of Corndale, Lupo's is the kind of place where a legless, shriveled goblin witch can pull herself through the doorway hand over fist and not really stand out in the crowd. That would be me, the goblin witch, Sadie. I don't like to say exactly how old I am, but I've aged about as gracefully as a ballet performed by toads. A ballet of lifeless toads brought back from the dead to dance for the amusement of some heartless monster. An orgy of dancing toads and swans brought back from the dead, croaking and hissing in a grotesque parody of Italian. Sorry, that's probably hard to picture. I can raise them again sometime if you want to see what I mean. The owner of the tavern is a stout, squat creature who passes for human named Georgia Lupo. She didn't do her homework if she thought a name like that would fit in with the humans. Whoever heard a name like Georgia? I wouldn't be caught undead in her place except she's my biggest buyer of leather and hides. She knows I got quality goods at cheap prices and she doesn't care who used to live inside the skins before I tanned them. I shouldered my way past the cockeyed minstrel and knocked on the office door. Yeah, what do you want? I got a cart full of hides outside for you to make an offer on. Can't take them this time, Sadie. You're too popular. Somebody come looking for me? Who is it, Glittergold? Mordenkainen? Moorcock. No? Le Guin? Nah, it's the Hobgoblins. They came sniffing around this morning. You gotta get out of here. I can handle anything hobgoblins throw at me. Just last night I had to nix one of their warlocks and a gargoyle who was about to tear up my niece Josie. The gargoyle was at the edge of the area I blasted, so she only had the last two years of her memories blown out. I had my spell centered on the warlock to do the most damage, so he was wiped clean. He was on the ground quivering and crying like a colicky baby when we left. Somebody will have to teach him his name used to be Gerund. Georgia, if the hobgoblins got you worried, come out and take a quick look at the leathers. Me and my niece will get out of here and they won't mess with you. Leave the cart. I'll pay your normal outrageous asking price. Get out the back way before they come for you. It's not the hobgoblins I'm worried about. It's who they got working for them. Francine's back. They must have put a spell on you to rattle you that much. I buried her myself. There's no way- Look, don't take my word for it. You can see her handiwork for yourself. Lupo stepped out to the main chamber of the tavern and I followed. She pulled the cockeyed minstrel off the floor. I figured somebody had cured the kid's eyes and Lupo mistook that for a big deal. That wouldn't mean it was Francine who did the cure. I would have cured him myself if the twerp hadn't written that song about me. Lupo pried open the minstrel's eyelid. I heard a... (coughs) from the empty hole where his eye used to be. Lupo pulled him into the lamplight so I could see better. Deep at the back of the kid's eye socket was a rooster's beak, complete with tiny eyes on the sides of it and a fleshy red coxcomb on top. 
I said, that does look like Francine's style, but it's a cheap parlor trick. Don't worry about it, Lupo. Anyone could, uh... I went quiet because the rooster had poked out the minstrel's eye socket and started talking. Sadie, if you're hearing this message, this is Francine. I'm coming for you. Uh, that was not right what you did with the bedazzlement spell and the flail and the burying alive. You couldn't use some flail from the market or borrow one from your brother? You had to use the flail I gave you for your 78th birthday. That you should be so insensitive as to flail me with a gift I gave you. That pains me on more than one level. Anyway, I owed Vorfalak a favor. He's trying to get his protege set up as the next Hobgoblin Emperor. Long story short, we need to kill your niece Josie so his position is not contested. And I thought, you know, while we're at it, I'd get my revenge on you. That's all. I'm done with my message. How do I stop this chicken head recording? Poke him in the other eye. Now I happen to know Francine got that flail as a baby shower present for her first litter. You're going to re-gift something and then claim it had so much personal meaning to you? Baloney. Never mind that. Head out the back way. I'll bring Josie in and she'll catch up with you in a minute. Lupo stepped out the front door while I waddled into her office. With the door closed behind me, I used a fireplace poker to drag the burning logs out on the stone floor. I pried up the biggest stone under the fireplace and tried to crawl down Lupo's secret tunnel without burning my hands on the hot stones all around the entrance. The smell of smoke was instantly overpowered by moldy earth. Anyone with legs would have been stooping over to walk through the tunnel, but it was a perfect size for lucky me. After a quarter mile curving east, the hard-packed dirt transitioned to stone floor and walls. Slipping through the catacombs under the abbey was a snap. The monks up above were oblivious as long as you kept quiet for a few hundred yards and you didn't bring a lamp with you. I passed a ladder leading up to some building in the abbey. I could hear monks flagellating themselves up there, so they probably wouldn't hear me shuffling through the catacombs. At least I assume each one was flagellating himself. Who knows? I was looking up at the dim torchlight filtering down from that hole in the ceiling when I stumbled into a goblin. He stood in front of me only a little taller than me. The passage was too narrow for the both of us because he filled it. He had the bill of someone who hadn't missed a meal in a few decades. That was my fault. I had fixed some of those meals for him. My brother Kriegak had one distinguishing feature that was prominent even with his face covered in shadow. A tusk that had broken off only an inch above his lips. He replaced the missing portion with a spike of smooth obsidian. Sadie, one of my closest friends is dead because of you. If it helps, cry. <laughs> you don't get it. You endangered the whole family. Our clan had an alliance with Jaren, that warlock you killed. He kept the hobgoblins off our backs. I haven't killed anybody in at least a week. Unless you count humans. Why are you trying to pin it on me? He's the one you stopped from arresting Josie last night. You wiped his mind so completely he can't even feed himself. Hobgoblins don't have much of a health care plan for the disabled, so they offed him. What'd they do, drag him out in the woods to die like your sons tried to do with me? Hell, even that'd be too much effort for hobgoblins. They dragged him as far as the smokehouse. Here, want a strip of warlock jerky? Thanks anyway, I had a big breakfast. Personally, I wouldn't start a beef with you over some dead, stringy, flavorless hobgoblin. Puss be upon him. But I'm chief of the clan Froshmouskrieg's security force. I have to bring you in and your niece too. The situation with Josie, it's got the hobgoblins all riled. They're out for blood. Josie isn't worth that much trouble to our clan. Kriegak, you're not taking her. The hobgoblins will cool off in a day or two and they'll forget about Josie. They'll have bigger flesh to fry. You need to get out of my way or we'll both be mown down by a greater threat. A force of unspeakable bitchiness. I warned you. Now tell me where Josie is. Is that all you got? I held up my left hand with my pointer finger up. 
Kriegak took it as a signal for him to wait, so he did. I pressed my pinky fingernail into the tip of my thumb. I flicked my pinky at him, and a piece of Kriegak's cornea, about the same size as my fingernail, jumped off his right eye. It plopped on the breast of his tunic and stuck there like a wet fish scale. Kriegak covered his eye with both hands, a reflex to keep the rest of his eye inside. I pressed my ring fingernail into the tip of my thumb. I flicked my ring finger in his direction, and a coin-shaped piece of valve at the top of his heart flicked out of place. He slammed one hand on his sternum as blood gushed into all the wrong parts of his chest cavity. I said, Mom always liked me best. I pressed my middle fingernail into the tip of my thumb. I flicked my middle finger in his direction, and a thin cross-section of his spinal cord moved an inch away from its usual position just below his brain stem. Kriegak crumpled like a sack of jellyfish. Like a sack of reanimated jellyfish in an orgiastic ballet with toads and swans and... No, no, just kidding. I'll have to try that next time, though. His body blocked the floor of the passageway. I crawled over his chest and left him behind. At the end of the tunnel, I stopped to catch my breath and wait for Josie to catch up. The tunnel sloped up toward a hole in the ceiling. Crude steps had been notched in the slope, but you wouldn't confuse it with actual stairs. The hole leads out of a hollow, gnarled tree behind the abbey. Finally, I saw Josie stepping out of the shadows from the direction I had come. Lupo stood behind her, with her arm around Josie's neck, a curved blade pressed up against Josie's gut. Then I heard a voice from the grave, one I hadn't heard in decades. Well, yeah, unless you count her voice in the cockeyed minstrel's message. It's not bad enough I have to squeeze through this rabbit hole in a tree with my lumbago? I get underground and you're telling me there's no steps? Would it kill you to carve some steps? Francine towers over me at about four foot three. She has a piercing in her upper lip. No ring or ornament in it. It's a big hole that her last tusk pokes through, blocking her one eye partially, so she always squints that one. She wears layer upon layer of wool and hide hanging down to her calves and strapped around her torso. From my angle below her, there was a danger of seeing up her skirts, but thankfully she had too many layers. Her spindly legs seemed to disappear into an endless series of hems. You know how people tend to get cold easily when they get older? Multiply that by several lifetimes, dying and being brought back, getting killed and being brought back, dying again and again and just getting too bored with the torments of hell to stay there. I don't know what brought her back this time, but I needed to find out and undo it quickly. I'm not saying this to be catty. Francine has had some work done. Even the most skilled mortician can't give a lifelike appearance to skin as mummified as Francine's was. It had to be some powerful mojo that kept her face a healthy green. Her only wrinkles were the frown lines on her narrow forehead. She had a sparkle in her eyes like a little girl, and the coarse tufts of hair sticking out of her nostrils were as lustrous as a teenager's. She hadn't bothered to cover all signs of aging, though. Her claws looked like they had been lying in a desert for the last thousand years, as if they might crack and fall apart at any moment. And she smelled exactly like someone who had been unearthed a week ago. I figured it was only a matter of minutes before the two of us would bring all our powers to bear in a duel of dark arts that would level the village and annihilate the surrounding countryside. Good place for it since it's only human territory. Just her voice doesn't give you the right impression of how much danger Josie and I were in. Let me try to spell it out. Francine once swallowed an army of ogres. I saw it myself. She's been nominated for darkest evil of the decade for five of the last decades before I put her in the ground. Everybody knows how corrupt the nomination process is with the Academy of Molten Punctures, Dark Arts, and Seances, but just the fact of getting nominated is a thrill. Anyhow, I wish there was some way I could express the danger we were in at that moment. We had come face to face with... Francine. Wait, even better. Let me try it again. We had come face to face with... Francine.
You've been listening to Aunt Sadie's Greens, Chapter 12 of Brazen Hearts, Fresh on Sticks. Everything associated with this, from writing to producing to speaking it, was all me, except for uh, Melinda did the voice of Georgia Lupo. Sound effects involved, uh, used in this included um, Chicken House 2 Wave by Digifish Music, Rooster Chicken Calls 2 Wave, and uh, if there's any more, I'm going to put them on, uh, on the archive.org page where you found this. Go to my website for more info on this Goblin Soap Opera po- podcast. It's at brazenhearts.blogspot.com. I'll post some links to an episode of Pete Kelly's Blues, starring Jack Webb. That's an old Jack Webb radio series that only lasted for a dozen shows, and that's where all of the jokes that uh, you didn't get and references that made no sense to you. That's what they're supposed to be. It's a parody of Pete Kelly's Blues, but I know no one's going to get it, but I just like it so much I did it anyway. In the next chapter, we'll hear from Josie again and wrap up lots of loose ends. Stay tuned for Chapter 13, Wild Hearts Can't Be Broasted, without a generous sprinkling of cumin. I mean, you could, but it'd be wrong.